Welcome to the Enduro Method podcast. Enduro Method is an online strength and conditioning program built for those who ride by those who ride. We are professional coaches dedicated to building the best and most revolutionary off the bike training for dirt bikers around. We are offering a special discount for our podcast listeners. Use discount code EMPODCAST22 for 50% off your first month. For more information, head to the description of this podcast where you can find the discount code and a link for more information and to sign up. All right, welcome to the Enduro Method podcast. On this episode, we have a very special guest on the show, Brian Pierce of Seat Time. The first 12 minutes of the show, Brian and Josh catch up and talk about some random stuff. Then they dive into a quick recap on how Brian's love of dirt bikes started and where that journey has led him today. They discuss past goals and ambitions and how that has changed over the years. There's a lot of great content in this conversation, and we really hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Without further ado, enjoy the conversation with Josh and Brian Pierce of Seat Time. Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for jumping on and doing this. Hell yeah. Yeah, man, for sure. What about you guys? How's the, the box and enduro method and stuff been going? Uh, great. Jim's good. Um, that's been probably our main focus since even since COVID I feel like last fall uh we kind of got back to where we were I mean that's it's been a while now eight months nine months somewhere in there yeah it took a long time just to get back to the numbers we were at pre-COVID really and um and then just get to a point where we kind of feel I don't want to say quite safe but like just consistent again right um so that was a big big part of just yeah that was kind of our main focus obviously enduro method still but um we're hoping to be able to really push in the next year yeah yeah i can see that too because it's like with enduro method and i don't know anything about y'all's setups but in the long run being that it is virtual like as long as you're staying consistent and not losing the people that come then it can kind of like keep itself while you do the more behind the scenes stuff like you were saying on the gym on the physical space which if you don't get the money there it's like fuck i gotta pay a rent (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah (laughs) yeah for sure it's basically getting making sure the gym's doing what the gym should be doing and then we can you know take time away from that and uh really focus on enduro method and it's it's honestly it's such a different business for us because it's so like the gym, like we talk to everybody, we know everybody, we're in the community, we're here every day and people get to know us. And now we've been here 10 years and like Enduro methods, such like an online thing and neither Dane or I are that, I mean, she's way better at everything online than I am, but it's such a different thing to be able to get people to know you, trust you, um, get your voice out there essentially. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's, it's been an interesting journey in that way yeah and i think i think this is this is something that i think would come up in our chat later is is in the for whatever reason it feels like in the dirt bike community everybody knows everything and their opinion is the only opinion to have so it's it's very hard it's very hard to have a conversation with people that have such a ignorant mindset around that that they're very closed off to even the minute possibility that there could be a 
different way to think. And I was going to say better, but I just mean different. Like even listen to something that doesn't work. So then it helps you even be more confident in what you do because then you know it works when you try things that don't work and fail. You know what I mean? Like, and you can't have that in the dirt bike community. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a, but yeah, no, I say my thing, the even talking fitness in the dirt bike realm is kind of hilarious sometimes because it's like this old school mindset of, uh, you know, you, you don't need to do anything fitness. Like I ride to be fit and it's like, cool. Like no problems with that. You, you do you. And if that's what yeah. you do to get fit, that's fantastic. But you do realize there's other avenues to be better and more fit to then enjoy what you do more. Like it's not a lose, lose, or, you know, it's like win, win you, you train when you can't ride to then when you ride, enjoy riding more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and everybody and everybody takes the approach that, well, you're just telling me I need to work out more and ride less. And it's like, bro, if you took five minutes a day and did something that moves you towards the thing you're looking for and just stayed consistent, like literally in a year, you would look back and be like, holy fuck, I am way better. Totally. <laughs> like, <Yeah, no. laughs> and, and you wouldn't have you and it would not have felt like you tried. Right. you're like i didn't really do that much you're right what worked oh the consistency oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah, totally i'm i feel like i try not to harp on consistency too much but the funny thing is it comes across in everything like you can't not have consistency if you want to be better at something or you know whether that's it doesn't matter relationships uh, the sport you like to do being healthy, like all of it requires consistency. Yeah. And that's, that's why I screenshot a lot of your emails um, is not on the consistency part. I consistently screenshot your email. <laughs> what I like about them is that you're blunt. Like you're, you, you have the external voice that I wish I had. Um, huh. I, yeah. I kind of choose, there are times and places where I choose to be poignant and there are other times where I che- I, I most likely, I, I like to give educated opinions. Um, and, and some of that comes into a lack of confidence. And some of that comes into what I have understood as re- the way that people respond. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to choose to be a little less driving a point home because I know that that's, I don't want to always feel like I'm, um, trying to push people uphill where it's like, what I like about it, it's like, you're, it's just, you know, you just say the thing. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> that needs to be out. If nobody knows about it, that, that needs to be out there. Yeah. And I, I think it's partially like what, obviously what appeals to me, you know, I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. I like to be the things I gravitate toward, it's not that they're black and white, but there's something tangible that you can take away from it. And then to me, it's like, you got to take that thing and then implement it a couple of times or over the course of a certain amount of time. And it might work for you. It might not. But if, if all we ever do, like I'm an avid reader, right? I love everything from fantasy to self-help to whatever you want to label it, right? Self-improvement, um, to history, to like all kinds of stuff. And at some point, cause I'm always like, oh, maybe there's something in this next book, you know, like 
but it's like I've read fucking hundreds of books already at this point. And how many of those things have I actually taken something from and like really applied, not kept in my mind, been like, oh, yeah, maybe that's what they were talking about here. And I, <laughs> but like taking a concept and been like, I'm going to do this concept for three months. And then we'll shift it out and see how it goes. You know, does it really work? Uh, what did I learn from it? And then move on to the next concept. I, I think that is so missing, right? Especially in, in today's world where everything's a, at our fingertips like it's almost yeah. too, there's almost there's so much information it's so easy to access you don't feel like you even got to implement it because you could always just look it up if you need to well i remember i was talking to somebody about reading re, uh, i think it was while i was reading atomic habits back in 2019 and i was talking about it talking about it and i my offhanded comment was i added it to my notes and they interrupted me which was okay but they were like wait wait why are you taking notes i was like well, I want to, this is the point that I want to carry with me later. They're like, so you take notes while you read? I was like, I didn't start until this book. And I was like, but that, to your point, like that's where I start to retain information for me, right? Is it's, yeah, like it's really easy to just read a book and be like, I did the work, but it's like, how are you going to implement it? Where does it matter to you? Where could it potentially come up later in life? And I feel like unless we kind of like take that moment, again, even if it's just the five, the 1% thing from Atomic Habits, and we're just like quickly writing down a couple of bullet points that matter in the chapter that we read, like it, it's going to, that awareness is going to one day come and turn into action, you right. know? And, and that's the, and, and so Though I do not read every book, unless it's fiction, I definitely don't do it with fiction books. But like nonfictiony books or whatever, like I do typically read now with a with a pen and paper, and I take notes. Um, I get quotes and I keep them for later, and I come back and I search for things that I'm thinking about, you know. And it's like that's been so helpful, and it's so weird that we just think about reading as this like I started, I finished, and I'm done, and it's a finite thing. And it's like, bro, that book could live with like atomic habits i will read reread that for the rest of my life i've already right. read it three times you know what i mean like because of that awareness that i have to like how much these concepts are so ground like just ground level like they don't need to be any more difficult you know and it's like it's pretty simple yeah so. yeah that's great i want to come back to the book thing um later and basically so, everything i know we just, we just <laughs> talk about all kinds of stuff it's like but I think that hopefully that gives you kind of a concept that it's like, this is who I am. This is how I respond to stuff. Um, a lot of people think that I am a overconfident, um, uh, not, not asshole, but like, it's very, it's been very interesting how many people dislike me before they ever truly meet me because of how confident I am. And, and I think that that's not, maybe it's a little bit of jealousy of, of, of someone who actually starts to feel comfortable in their own skin right. but that's what i've noticed as i've had this interesting transition so i just wanted to like i'm glad that you kind of like understand you know what i mean that we've got a chance to catch up again and i could respond to you exactly how i want to because like i just i you know i don't want people to can it sucks that people have this very interestingly disgenuine um regard of who i am and, and why i make content and why i why I exist, I guess, right now, currently as the way that I do and why seat times is, is out in the ether. Yeah. And I think, I think some of that is just the fact, you know, you put yourself out there, 
Um, and there's just, it's so easy to comment and all kinds of weird shit online. Like it's just a different world. Do you know what I mean? And the people, I feel like the people who spend a lot of time online, I, they just, they aren't doing their own thing. I do. I think it's jealousy. I think it's anger. I think it's frustration. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that going on. I, I think there's a lack of, uh, meaning in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. We could, again, that, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I'm, you know, it's, I feel like we're in a, I'm in a little bit of an interesting spot because from a point of view perspective, like I came into, I mean, I wrote a little bit as a kid, um, but nothing ever serious, you know, high school hit, didn't write again for a long time, never paid attention outside of like some super cross back when like Damon Bradshaw and Jeffy Mig and some folks were racing. And my, cause my cousin was really into it. I, I kind of got nice. some VHS tapes and watched them over and over and over. Um, but I, did, I was so far removed from the racing world, all of this, I'm kind of coming back into it later in life. And so I don't have the background and the history of like, you know, even like Cody Webb and Colton Haker and, and those guys, like, I don't, I didn't know they grew up and kind of riding and racing together forever until right. I heard it on a podcast. And so my perspective is kind of like limited in that sense, but then I coming in from, you know, team sports and CrossFit and outside and kind of learning this stuff new as I meet people and talk to them. And um, yeah, so it's, I think it's kind of cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. Um, mm -hmm you kind of Brian Pierce first, and then we'll transition how that goes into seat time. And then, you know, continue on. I want to get into fitness and um, writing stuff yeah. for you later. I ramble a lot. So at any point in time, just cut me off and say, that's enough on that subject. But yeah, Brian Pierce, man, holy crap. I grew up just outside of New Orleans in Kenner, Louisiana. And I got, I uh, started, I think dad got me on a bicycle. I was around three, three, three o'clock, three, three, you know, three years old. Um, five got me a JR 50 had a pull start so that I specifically could not start it when he wasn't, uh, at home. Uh, so it didn't even have a kickstart back in the day. Right. So I was born 79. So you guys can do the math on that one back in the day, whenever that was. Um, and we just rode around empty lots. Now my dad actually did have like his AMA, uh, professional motocross license and even did a couple early supercrosses. So again, wow. by no means a privateer but he was good enough to try to make like night shows and race a couple professional motocross, like qualified to race a couple 40 man gates for professional motocross. Right. So that, you know, just like any kind of like local fast dude, right. Kind of a thing. But then he went into the national guard, went back to school, did some things like that. And so that's kind of like when I was growing up. So we just played around, we would go to the new Orleans spillway there and ride. So they had like little motocrossy tracks. They had a little bit of single track. So we just did a little bit of everything, but by no means, even though I did kids races at Enduros around eight to 10, when we started going back into racing or when he wanted to start doing that, cause life got a little bit easier. I had no intensity. Like I was always the last guy off the gate or, and by gate, you know, this is a kid's race at an enduro. So there's no gate yeah. that off the little flag. Literally my dad's got pictures of me. Like what, you know, kids are on one end of the picture and I'm still just coming off the starting line. Um, but I never had any kind of intensity. I never had any gumption about that kind of stuff. I liked the idea of racing, but I didn't understand what competing was right. This, I didn't have this drive to beat other people and it wasn't. And so that's, 
you know, that's later, I guess, is where this like, I still maybe am not a huge competitor, but where I do love the idea of competition for what it gives me in the sense of like, there's training and then there's the test, you know? And so that's where I kind of like, and the test doesn't mean that I have to go test myself against other people. Now, a lot of it is that mental test of where am I? But again, I probably later in all that kinds of stuff, but Arkansas, uh, Mississippi, Alabama. We made it to Texas every now and again in Oklahoma for some bigger events. But in the long run, that's what that was. I went to college uh, 97, so 18 years old. Didn't have a dirt bike. You can't have that in a dorm room. So I started riding, even though we were riding mountain bikes, I started riding mountain bikes a ton more. I got on the LSU mountain biking club, you know, club team, and yeah. we traveled around and rode and everything. I loved that. Like, because this is when mountain biking, even though mountain biking's heyday is earlier than the late 90s, early 2000s, bro, I'm in Louisiana. Like, so, like, you know, now it finally made it to the southern parts of the United States. And we had so much fun traveling around being college kids, you know, racing mountain bikes. Again, I didn't have any competitive blood in me. I sucked. I drank a lot of beer. I did a bunch of keg stands. Like, so there's <laughs> no ability to be amazing at this. It's just, it was what it was. A lot. So graduated moved to texas and i'm like what what do i want to do with my life technically i'm still figuring that out but i bought a house in 06 and that allowed dad to give me a bike he gave me an 03 wr250 and so i was like cool oh i get to start riding dirt bikes again amazing and i did it a little bit during all of the college and stuff and dad would come pick me up and we'd go to races but by no means was it normal and so I got back into riding in around 06, 07, 08. I decided to get into the, they had a local Toro and T-Sec. I was like, bro, there's Enduros in Texas. Again, no idea. I've been here like five years at this point. And uh, actually that year is when I fi- I won Ooh. something, right? Like, so like there, again, this is that, that weird shift that you talk about when things happen in life. It's like, I kind of like, strangely became competitive in the sense that like I I started racing mountain bikes during that time period of like 02 to 06 because I was working at a bicycle shop as a mechanic and I was like man cool there's this stuff everything like and so I don't know like it's just so interesting how it's like when I got back on the dirt bike I was like you know what I remember those enduros I had a lot of fun doing that with dad maybe I could do that on my own and I have and that has just continued onward I've done the T-Sec stuff. I've traveled, traveled around and did things like the Rip to Cabo um, with the Desert Assassin guys. Um, I've tri- I've quali- done ISDE qualifiers. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'll go to a motocross track, but I promise you I very much suck at motocross. <laughs> um, and, and nowadays I don't even, and I have followed series, right? Like, again, I could pull the trophy down, but who gives a shit about trophies? Sometimes they just hold doors open. You know, for how well I've done in the T-Sec series, I became a double-A rider, right? Like in T-Sec. Um, but again, local, that doesn't mean shit when you go to the national comp- you know, side of things. Um, and I've kind of, family took over. And I'd, I there was a time when I was still pushing for that and didn't realize how much time I was taking away from my family. And I'm glad I'm on the other side of that. And I had that realization. And so now I've I don't follow a series. Like I'll go do a local TCCRA race or a local TSEC race when there's time. Um, but I don't, 
train specifically for racing anymore. I do train for general fitness. And, and I technically train in the way that I live my life now is I make decisions on a daily basis that I hope helps me become a 95-year-old badass, right. right? Like that's the way that I approach all of this now. And I feel the most comfortable on the bike that I've ever felt. I am... I don't know that I'm faster. I de technically don't think that I'm actually faster, but man, alive, I feel so much better on the bike and so much more in control than I did in the, the what is that, early 2010s to the 15s when I was the double A racer and fast and shit. And like, uh, like, I don't know. It's been very interesting. Again, I ramble. I'm all over the place. You wanted a start line and a finish line. I kind of <laughs> gave you them. Um, and there's like all kinds of weirdness in between too. So yeah, no, that's great. When did, when you were, um after you kind of transitioned out of racing more into family stuff is that when seat time kind of started to come about so the, it was before that seat time came about in 2010 the idea of seat time came about 2010 i'm sitting in a pool i had just had an iphone for less than a year but i had really got into podcasting because that was an app on the thing tech podcasts were blowing up they were all over the place and being a front-end web developer at the time I was just digging it and eating it up. And I was like, why is there not a dirt bike version of this? Right. Yeah. And so um, I'm saying these same things to my buddy in a pool directly after we just got done bench racing about the supercross that happened the night before. And we're sitting there drinking beers and having a good time. And the, the light bulb goes off. I was like, wait, that's, we should do that. We're just as like, we're just as capable to talk about dirt bikes as anybody else. And all of the podcasts that I saw were just dudes or just ladies. They're just people. Like, right. and I was like, we can be that. And that was the genesis of it. So in 2011, we literally, it's called seat time. And the original thing was like a pint full of awesome. And it was the beer drinking and bench racing show for off-road racers. Cause we literally did that. We had a couch, which is actually in the original logo. And we sat on the couch, had a six pack of beer and talked about the racing that had happened that weekend before. And it has evolved so much since then. Um, but that is like the very, you know, infinite genesis of like the idea of seat time and where it came about. Nice. What, what's changed in your, um, I almost want to say business plan, but like your pursuit <laughs> for seat time. <laughs> oh my God. So there was, What's crazy again is like, I've always had an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit, but I've never knew, I never believed in myself enough to think that I could do my own thing. Like if we're just being completely honest, like digging deep inside and stuff like that, the shift happened two years ago that I, that's when I realized I could, I could work for myself. I could support myself. My ideas were worthy of being put out into the world to help support and foster community and growth within other people. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're in 2022. So that's 12 years of what the fuck was Brian doing with seat time? That's a great question. Like, and it wasn't until last year, it was May, 2021, where I finally decided what I had been doing for 11 years was haphazard completely unintentional and there was no focus to it um it was all over the map and that's exactly why i think that youtube channel failed it, it, you know it, if somebody's like failed it's got almost two hundred thousand subscribers now you want to go down that rabbit hole we can but i was like do i want to keep doing this do i like this and it's like yes so do i try to save 
a failing YouTube channel or do I start over? And I was like, I want to start over. I want to create something from the ground up to a degree, right? Like Sea Time at itself still had some clout and thing, but I mean, really like start over from, you know, from the ground up with, the, with a new YouTube channel so that I could create focused, intentional content that felt like it carried over. And that when people come back and they see one of the new seat time videos, there is an expectation of what to get. There's going to be some fun. There's going to be some entertainment and edu- but there's a huge amount of education. And that's that education is for everybody. Like, I don't want to make factual statements and that my word is the only word out there. I try to do a lot of research so that I talk about a lot of the concepts that are out there. And then I tell you why I made the decision that I made. So one, you may get some problem solving learning out of that about like just the most recent video with the handguard stuff, like why I choose the open-ended handguard from Enduro Engineering that I use versus others and things that I've learned throughout the years. But I also talk about all the reasons that people use what they use because I don't want you to use what I use because I use it because that might not work for you. So again, there's a lot there and everything, but that's that quick kind of like genesis of like the YouTube aspect of things and why there's a podcast feed because that's what it was. You could go back and before Caleb Russell was ever in the XE1 class, listen to him talk about winning the XE2 class and the years like gumming up under his under his dad, you know, watching him because that's how long I've been interviewing these guys. Right. It's kind of nuts to think about, but here we are. Yeah. The handguard one. As you know, or can see, I have a <laughs> <laughs> permanently fucked up pinky finger now. Almost had it amputated which I didn't find out till later. Yeah. So hit a stump between was running flags. Uh, it doesn't matter which ones, but they weren't doing anything. Um, came around inside corner stump was cut off at handlebar height. It was like an eight inch round stump. Uh, and it didn't even see, it was kind of hidden behind a rock yep. and right there, the trail fell as well. So it was like perfect storm came in tight crunch, blew this knuckle up, broke that tiny yep. little bone, six pieces had four pins in that little bone. Um, save the finger works great. I can't, I don't have the extent it quits extending about there, but, uh, anyways, it's, it's been an interesting thing because I ran wraparounds forever, switched to flags. Cause I wanted to try it. And now I'm back to wraps because I feel safer for now. And I'll probably go back to flags maybe at some point, but when you're, I didn't watch the video. I caught it. I caught the highlights of it. But with talking to people too, because it seems to me that most pros, especially in the hard enduro for sure, um, not sure on like GNCC stuff, run flags. Every now, there's definitely some that run wraps, but not as many, I would say, right? Um, yeah. And then with your experience and talk with people in your opinion, where do you go with that? What do you, I, I know you run flags. Um, yep. Yeah, but- my biggest thing. So when I, I a couple things. Stuart Baylor Jr., he runs full wraparounds in the Enduro still. I can't remember directly offhand if he changes up for the GNCCs, but I do know that in the National Enduros, he still runs full wraparounds. He's got the Psycho one, and he's got a very interesting um, mounting way to do that because he runs flex bars because he's had so many wrist injuries. I think he's actually the one that ran like a Mako 360 and flex bars after coming back from a skateboard injury. So, like, oh. there's some weird history with his <laughs> – well, yeah, because his wrists were so jacked right. up. Wow. Uh, I, I, man, I hope nobody calls me out. I really think that that actually happened. But again, 
I don't, I don't drink anymore, but man, it's shit. I used to drink a lot. So it's like my memory could be all over the place. Uh, so, you know, but you're right that a lot of them do not. And it's because of deflection. So these guys are going so fast and if and they hit trees. Like when you watch them, they don't, they're very finitely missing trees and stuff like that. But the body English they're using, obviously with off-road, it can't be specific, right? It's not like road racing where a divot half an inch is what throws you off right? right you know what i mean like yeah it, it could be anything and so you if you watch slow motion footage of these guys when they're racing racing and not just making cool video clips they are tagging the shit out of everything and when they're going that flat fast the deflection of any kind of metal sends them off into the woods and I was, right. this is one of the things that we've talked about caleb russell quite a few different times so that's a big reason why you see those guys run flags now I never went to flags because I'm like, bro, I'm a slow dude. Like that deflection is not going to bother me. Well, it got to a point where it did. And I was hitting trees more than, and I was like, what else is out there? So again, I started doing the research. I started looking around and that is right about the time that Enduro Engineering put out the brake perch or sorry, like the, the lever perch mounted um, open-ended guards. So it's, it's full metal and it doesn't take up any more space on the bar mounts to the top of your brake and clutch perches. And then the plastic that you use or whatever that composite is in those things, it works phenomenal. Like I have tagged many of trees and I have yet to crunch a finger right yeah. now. Have I felt it hit my hand? Absolutely. But again, it hasn't been hard enough to crunch it. So do you like, you know, I, I see the spectrum and I understand all of it. So I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't run because it is your choice right? You're going to tell me your story about what happened to your pinky. I'm going to tell you a story about my dad blowing up his big toe because of an, a stump that was cut too tall in a turn. It's yeah, like, totally. well, does that mean he should stop wearing motorcycle boots? Does that mean that he needs to run a different type of motorcycle peg? It's like, no, I mean, that's just a random moment in time right. that sucks ass, Yeah, yeah. you know? And, but if, if we notice those happening over and over and over again, now we have a problem. But a lot of that stuff is outliers. But if you're not comfortable, then you're not comfortable. And so if there's a confidence problem with, I don't want to run open-ended because I don't want to crunch a finger, well, then run full wraparounds. Like right. do that until something else starts to make you uncomfortable. And for me, that was a deflection of trees. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like how I think about it and where I took that video, um, you know, and there's a little bit historical perspective as well, because I do have a lot of time in this sport. Um, by no means, and I'm not an industry guy, right? Like I just, I'm just a dude. I grew up doing this with my dad. I raced with him. I raced on my own. I made some of my own decisions. Some were right. Some were wrong. There were dudes way faster than me and some slower. And I always ask questions and I want to have get answers. And so I just try to bring some of that perspective to these pieces of content. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, what other parts while we're on this, do you think are worthwhile on the bike? And what do you think kind of kind of fluff i mean because i think at least there are some that are like that's probably necessary if you're riding off road you're right you know if you're getting more and more technical parts of the bike need to be protected versus not protected some of it looks cool looks blingy whatever yeah uh, i am a huge proponent now that rotor guards especially uh the, the more metal rotor guards that you can get like a shark fin or something like a shark fin for the front as well um you, and brand agnostic you know what i mean like if you're an enduro engineering guy go get theirs i know that their stuff's high quality i get the bulletproof design stuff 
because that's just kind of what I've always run. They're high quality, but they're also high dollar. There's a lot of other brands that are out there. I know SRT makes a bunch of stuff too, and they kind of try to hit certain price point stuff. So if you're looking for that, cool. But that's, I am an off-road racer and I don't stay upright all the time. So for me, like, I'm like, what can I do to mitigate the risk of me having to re replace extremely expensive right. components or radiators or in a race even better. So it's like, you know, one of the one things I haven't done that I do think is very important now is side covers. Like now that we're seeing either more robust side covers. So something that's a little bit thicker than stock um, for like your clutch and, or your train um, and your stator oh, oh. side. Okay. Um, yeah. Like was it uh, uh, is it trail jammers? I believe. Yeah, if they got like, the one like a they've been making. <clears throat> yeah, like they've been now that that market is growing. That's one part that I want to get on because how many times have I been to Colorado where someone in the group has laid the bike over in the rocks and you're getting out the uh the, you know you're mixing up some steel and you're doing a thing and you got thirty minutes of sitting there like oh god like like dude. A, $50 part. And we're probably not having that happen. And that's a part I need to get that I haven't gotten, but, um, in hard enduro I've like, it, okay. So for enduro, like more off-road, like radiator, radiator protection, you don't want your radiators going out. If you can afford to get more robust hosing for your radiators, do that for sure. Um, protect your brake rotors and your brakes, right? Um, the, probably need to get a more robust chain guide if yeah. not just a chain guide i love what uh bulletproof design makes where they have the tab protection so that way even if you don't get a more robust guide there's less chance of those tabs breaking off and then you're just like totally screwed right um and, and then i have screwed up a slave cylinder at the uh counter sprocket because of not having protection there so i Again, haven't gotten it yet because I haven't re-threaded all that stuff because I screwed it up. I do think that that's necessary for off-road. And yeah. then when you go into hard enduro, it's the other places you're going to be laying the bike over and putting it in. Was it Crosslinks just came out with that awesome swing arm protection? Yeah. Underneath mounting for the fort guards, it's like, bro, that is that you we're dragging those things through so many rocks. Like that seems like a must-have if you're super hard enduro. And then I think too, whatever kind of protection you can do for your front forks. Um, I know like I've seen Trailbound sells the covers for the tops um, and then as full plastic wraparound as you can get for those lowers because man again it's the same idea as the the side cover like your clutch cover like if you can put something else between a rock and take it in that metal out like let's do that yeah you know? and that, I think that that's kind of when it comes to the forks the lower forks yeah SXS I think has they call them load protectors yeah, the ones that go on the front bottom of the fork. Yeah, so I'm kind of like, I just like, okay, like what position, what situation are you in? What are the potential elements that are going to get in the way? And how can we try to negate that from ending our ride, ruining our bike or ruining a race? Right. Like, I think you drove somewhere insane, like 30 plus hours, right? Like, no one wants to get there and screw something up. Yeah, totally. And I mean, same goes for out on the trail, right? Long days on a bike, you're 30 miles out from the truck. Last thing you need is something that's going to set you back to walking or, you know, not making it back. Yeah. Or nut to butt with a friend. I mean, really, I mean, like it's cool and all Saturday night, but not, not during the daytime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then tubeless moose where you fall. Man, so I've been all over the map with that as well. I remember when, um, 
so again, I've put out a video, how to choose a gummy tire. And we dive in a little bit about that because that will, uh, now that we're seeing more and more types of gummy tires come out, that can change which type of setup you're going to go with. And so I ran tubeless for a really long time when it first came out, version one and version two. And it wasn't until I went to Colorado and I was on the Kenda Equilibrium, right when they were taking that gummy tire and kind of coming to market with that. The problem is, is it did not have enough layers. And so if you got any kind of a rock puncture through that tire, which could happen pretty easily, there you, you were screwed unless you brought the, uh, you know, tire bacon with you. Right. So there is, there's literal video of me trying to shove three pieces of tire bacon into tire plugs into that thing while also spraying in, um, you know, tire sealant because right. it's like the hole was that big. So if you're going to run tubeless, you need to make sure that you have a tire that has enough um, layers in it. Um, what do they call them on tires? You know, there's like that special word that never makes any sense except the tire people. We'll just Ply. call them layers. Ply. Ply. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I call it layers. Let's go with layers. But <laughs> make sure that the center on those guys and even some of the, uh, the sidewall as it comes around there into the sidewall has a bunch of plies as well. Because if not, those are super prime points for something jamming through there and screwing up a perfectly good tubeless setup right um yeah you can but then on mooses man that's where i've been playing around um uh the guys from nitro moose because seat time is kind of a media outlet have been awesome to give me a discount that i can i, I don't get them for free i i say hey is it cool if i place an order they're like yeah we're cool you haven't ordered too many and use too many discount codes and they've been helping me out so i've been playing nice. with those because i like the concept that they've done where they have a platinum and a plushie um, and I kind of want to keep playing with that to see. And that's why I specifically raced the Shady Burrow Enduro last year with a crazy gummy tire with a platinum um, nitro moose because I was like, what is this going to do? And this year I'm going to run a plushie with the Tusk Recon. Um, again, kind of like start to play around with that and kind of like see what I learn as I try these different tires and uh, and goof off a little bit. So I'm very much in the camp of you got to try them out and right. what's your budget, right? If your budget, if you can't buy over a hundred dollar tire, don't get the, you know, get something like a Tusk Recon and go get an SRT bib moose. The one thing you should do is if you are not going to consistently change tires, like within two weeks or especially within a month, do not use tire soap. Tire soap is for people that change their bibs out regularly it is soap. It will dry out. It will crack your, your bib moose and it will not last. If you're someone like myself who puts them on there and leaves them on for a long time, use the manufacturer silicone lube, I believe is like the main thing. And that's the biggest, like that will change your world. Cause so many people would use tire soap cause it's cheaper, really? but man, it, it doesn't, it doesn't last if you use it um, and don't change them out often. Right. If you change them out often, it's great because it lasts for that time period. What's it's the, good for a couple races. What's the point of the tire soap? I mean, is that in place of lube or is that just the ease of getting the bead on? Uh, yes and yes. It's, it is a lube that stays within there for a finite amount of time. But then, yeah, like it's, it, it is something that they also use to, um, you know, in that, in that regard of helping getting everything on. Uh, okay. Um, I've been using Crisco for like five years. And no bib issues? Nah. Nice. Yeah, I ran nice. out of ran out of silicone, you know, Michelin, whatever came with the moose. And 
Uh, I don't remember when it was and nothing was open except for the supermarket. So I went, got a tub of Crisco and started living up with that. And that's all I've used since. And it works great. So here's the question. We put that shit in our bodies. What does that say? Is that like, is it great? Is it great boot <laughs> lubricant? Maybe it shouldn't be in our body. I think, I, mean, uh, again. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think you should quit putting that in your body and put it in your tire instead. <laughs> Who knew they had an entirely different market? I'm sure. I'm sure that they repackage that shit and sell it as a uh, as a lubricant, and nobody fucking knows. Nobody like, for knows. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm similar. I haven't. I've never run tubeless personally. I've always just. I switched from tubes early on to moose, and then been trying to figure those out ever since. And I would say, if you're unfamiliar with moose, there is a learning curve there, and be patient, because. Right. I mean, every tire is different size. Every moose is not perfectly the same size. In the beginning, it matters less. But as you progress and like if you are trying, especially probably more so for hard enduro, but if you're trying to get like a good feeling moose, nice and squishy, like it just takes so long to figure that out. And then whether you got to drill it or what you're using and then you can have a perfect moose, put it on the shelf, save it. But if you don't wrap it right, right, if you don't put it lubed up in a trash bag, let's say, it changes stiffness over time and shrinks. You come back and it's like, yes. hey, listen, my, pe- my penis is now thicker than this fucking <laughs> bib moose. You're like, what exactly. just happened? Because we all know it's not big. So that means that moose is really small. <laughs> yeah, you're putting it on the front tire now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think a rat like it, it like dude, watch whatever video you want. Like, but until you try to put in your first bib moves, you're not gonna understand. Right. And then you're gonna be 10 deep and you're still gonna be like, I don't get it. But then you're gonna start feeling the differences, like you said. You're gonna realize that this bib moose is a little bit harder to put in this tire, or it's a little bit easier, these kind of things. And half the time you might make a decision based on how hard or easy it is to get in the tire versus what it feels like on the trail, because <laughs> you're like. I don't want to have to have a tire six pack of beer just to put this damn moose on <laughs> right? because you're so frustrated. What about bikes? What are you riding? Oh man, I'm still on my 2018 Sherco 300 SER. Um, and I still love that bike. Like they're like in the long run, would I love to upgrade? Absolutely. Because Sherco's made so many updates. Um, and I would get another Sherco if, you know, and, and I have, I spent my own money on that one. I'd be spending my own money on the next one. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like, I think that when I got on, it was, I was in Colorado. I got on a 2017, I rode it around Texas and everything, brought it to Colorado, 2017 Sherco 450 factory edition. And that bike was felt so light. That bike weight wise was 20 pounds lighter than my 350. And my 350 felt like a pig when I got back on it Hmm. compared to that. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but this is amazing. And I'm getting a Sherco because I was kind of in that, like, I want to buy a new bike. And so that's when I reached out to Clay, who was the distributor at the time and said, I want an 18 when they come out. And so I've been on that since like October or November of, uh, of 2017. And I've loved it. And like, I haven't, I just now started doing things like suspension. Um, even though it's way past overdue, I got to do a top end soon. It's like way past overdue. Um, but again, like I don't race, so I'm not like, ah, my compression you know that's definitely the problem here is the power of the bike putting out like (laughs) um what were the what were the biggest things you noticed when you got on the shirt how tall are you 
I am 5'11", and right now I'm about 165, so it's probably about 185, 190 when I got on it weight-wise then. Still 5'11". Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you kind of, right now at least, you were falling in stock suspension parameters yeah. pretty pretty well. Yeah, yeah back uh, then I didn't, but it was like, it was, I didn't really care again. I no, just kind of wrote it. Yeah. What about cockpit size? Did you notice any difference there? Um, so... I immediately, it wasn't until I got back one, I run the Astra Chris Birch bars, which I think they've renamed, but again, I run the Astra bars and one, one, I fucking love those. But yeah. two, even when I was still running stock bars, mm. I did get back on a KTM and it's like, I was on a chopper. Like I was, and it was a stock <laughs> KTM. So it was Man. like, it just, it was insane how tall that felt one but then two especially now that i like the astro bars and the way i feel anyway that it like gets me in the cockpit and kind of like helps me get into that that attack position really keeping the elbows up and out um man i don't know that i could ride a ktm like it just um the and the bike looks like a mother man like a guy who sucks as much as i do doesn't have a recluse because of the fact that that bike lugs so ridiculously well that I don't need to feel that I, that I would need that. Right. Like on the KTMs, I always did. Cause I could never, even on a 300 XC XCW, I never, I never got the, the lug power that I was getting out of this 300. Now we're looking around at like ride to Reynolds and hard enduro outfitters and some of the other people that have gotten newer Shercos and played around with them and put them put faster more aggressive riders on them you you do see them doing a lot of uh, um they put different uh you know compression tops on them and stuff like that to try to get higher compression and to right. get more top in out of them but i don't need that i don't i don't need that like i don't right. like I, sure i wish i was uh, i wish i had more testicular fortitude to want to go faster but i don't so right. i don't need that yeah yeah no, I, I don't know. I'm so far agnostic on the heads and everything else. It seems to me like for the most part, it's more trouble than it's worth sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, that's just another rabbit hole to ignore all the other problems of like the things that we probably should be working on. Yeah. If we're looking at like lowest hanging fruit, the top end potential speed of my dirt bike is at the top of the fucking tree, right? <laughs> like come on yeah. there's so yeah. many things i could improve upon first yeah yeah. Like, yeah it's yeah it's pretty nuts um pegs this one's interesting to me i've found i love different pegs i hate stock pegs have you found anything with that so i i have done very little playing with pegs when i still had my ktm i had just ordered some of the pegs uh the ankle savers I really wanted to try those, but again, like they were for my KTM and I didn't ever swap them over to the Sherco. The one thing I did do was off of stock pegs was getting, was it fast company? And then, uh, XE gear both make kind of like a vibration dampening, um, peg mm -hmm. in Colorado, man. I loved them. Like I loved them because I feel like standing up so much in the rocks, like dampening that vibration on your feet. I do feel like I wore less, like I just, I felt like I was less beat up over time. Again, though, now that I've been on the Sherco and changed very little, I haven't had that much of an issue. And I do know that in that time frame when I think I think it was 19 when, Sher when KTM came out with like the more 
more anti-vibration of their two-stroke. And everybody's like, ah, but the Sherco doesn't have this. And I'm like, I don't see that as a problem. Like I've never, you know what I mean? Like, and so that's, I think another reason why I haven't done a bunch of aftermarket things to the Sherco is because I don't feel like it needs it. Um, But maybe that's also where I'm at as well, right? Like I'm a little bit more comfortable just kind of like being and not feeling like I need to go try to find little things to fine tune. Right. So pegs, I could see people in hard enduro wanting to play around with that, uh, uh, potentially for the fact that you're dabbing a lot more. You're kind of in positions where you're going to be walking a little bit more. Um, If you've got longer legs, maybe lowering those a little bit. If you've got shorter legs, bringing them up. I would almost, but if the hard enduro side, it would seem like cutting your seat down would be like, again, if you're hard enduro-y more specific bike, dude, even shaving an inft off of that seat seems like that would just bring you into those uh, situations so much better. Right. Yeah. The main thing I've, I don't know if it's being heavier too, cause I'm 220. So just a lot more weight on my feet and the stock pegs are just a little bit narrower. So like the, width, uh, so, oh right? yeah. So you get a, yeah. Okay. I can see you get that a for bigger sure. footprint. It's just more yeah. comfortable. Nice. Yeah. And that's a totally valid point. I, and uh, I haven't um, tried them for that reason, but honestly, like that sounds like a great reason to kind of like give that, give that a go. Right. If somebody's like looking for ways to kind of like, why am I so beat up after 50 miles? I do these yeah. things that, 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 like maybe that's a, a really viable place to try to put some money. If that's, if that's where you want to put it, I could, I could see myself trying that for those reasons. Yeah. They're like the S3, uh, steel punk pegs. I think they're called. Those are pretty awesome. And then I put the Raptor ones on, I'm slightly terrified about, um, I'm actually might pull them off because we do so much trail riding, um, in the summers and those things will spark on rocks and like legit. Yeah. Be a fucking live fire for a hot second. <laughs> on the trail yeah. right <laughs> don't do that in texas right now shit no, that's so what i said so I, know, like, I heard this and then i had a buddy riding behind me and i clipped a rock pretty hard and uh it, i mean we were on like a rocky area but i stopped and i was like was there like a spark he's like oh yeah i was like oh well that's <laughs> not like great. i spit on it yeah <laughs> yeah you're good yeah he's like back there like peeing on the side of the trail you're like what are you doing you're like fire dumbass fire yeah. <laughs> So what do you, when you're riding now, what's it look like? I mean, if you're hitting races just where you can, are you spending trying to get out for days? Um, and what's it like in Texas? Do you kind of, is it private property stuff? Is there public land? What's it look like? It's man, compared to other parts of the country, it's pretty much shit. Um, like we have some cool areas to ride that are private property. So don't get that wrong in the sense that I don't like riding here. I do. There are like Red River Motorcycle Trails is outside of uh, uh, Gainesville, Texas. And so it's about a two hour, yeah, four hour, 45 minute for me from McKinney. Really cool property, been around since the 70s, um, but it's just blown out. And you ride with guys who ride there all the time that enjoy hard enduro or just challenging themselves. They know where all the cool stuff is. So again, that kind of stuff is awesome. But the problem is, is that we just have, it's Texas is private land. Like that's just what it is. So we don't have, those really cool trailheads that are an hour away and you can just venture off into thousands of acres of whateverness. You know what I mean? That are what, which is why us Texans travel to Colorado as much as we do. It's because it's just like, that just feels like so much Mecca-ness, you know? And I actually, I think there's a, there's a huge contingent of Texans right now in Idaho somewhere because of that same thing. 
nice. they've kind of gotten tired. They've been doing Colorado for years and years and years. And um, I think it's Patch and uh, one of the other guys that raced TC Sarah, David, they've done a couple of those crazy Idaho, Idaho routes. You know, like they finished it one, they didn't finish one year, almost died, finished it the next year. Like well, a, now they're like, look, Idaho's the place to go. So they're like out there. Grit, grit ride? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the one of the ones that you got to like go online and like find which route you're going to do. And then yeah. you got to, you have to GPS yourself and everything like, which yeah. sounds amazing. Like, and so that's what most Texans do. <laughs> it's like yeah. We go, we go, we go other places. And so like what I, who I am now, what I want to do and where I want to go is I want to do what I'm doing next weekend. I want to continue doing that, which is the Shady Burrow Enduro. I'm driving, you know, 14 hours to Sargent's, hopefully on Wednesday, I'm going to ride in Sargent's on Thursday, probably ride there Friday morning, driving to South Fork Friday night, get my registration, eat some food, get ready for Shady Burrow, race 200 miles, turn around and come home. Like, awesome. and I like the idea of, of of the events, I don't let's not call it a race because I'm not racing. I'm riding at a, a pleasantly fun pace. Um, because it's organized, like so yeah. many, like that, like I don't mind paying what let's call it 200 bucks, right? 200 bucks for 200 miles of an organized, badass, good time. Like that sounds amazing. But some of the stress of going to a new place, like when I went to Shady Bureau the first time, if I'd have tried to go ride South Fork, I'd have been looking at this or looking at this or trying to find a guy or paying ready to ride Reynolds to go put a route together for me. Um, where events like this help me get to a spot. I get to ride what they think is cool for these events. I get to be around like-minded people that are wanting to do 200 miles in two days on a dirt bike. Um, and that typically is turning out to be so much more of a badass experience and time on a dirt bike than trying to follow a series and like think about points and like man do i god damn i want to win the 40a plus class Arr, like <laughs> like it just it just gets and then two like my son liam is on a ktm 65 now he's been riding since he was five nora is on that tarot that we did a big video on on that mx2 like we went and rode this past Sunday. My suspension is with Morgan right now um, at Highland Cycles, TBT Racing. They're one of their things. So I can't ride. Well, I got the wife out on a four-wheeler. I got Liam out on a 65. I got Nora out on her Tarot. And watching them ride, right? Watching them ride all three together and follow them around my father-in-law's property, that made me happier in that moment not riding than I had been on riding in, I can't even tell you. Like, right. so it's like, that's the kind of shit that I'm trying to find more of is events like Shady Borough. Like that's, I wanted to go do the, the Boise Ridge Riders mm -hmm. um, in June, you know, again, same idea, drive across country, like go enjoy a, a part of the, I hadn't been there since 2012 when I was at the ISDE qualifier. Right. The, um, yeah. The, the, Idaho, the, you know, Idaho City. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to do Takate this year. I think it opens up in October. So I'm going to try to get a spot for that. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm right. looking for stuff like that. Like I want to do, I saw Big Bear Dual Sport, I think had some like crazy gnarly dual sport event that was like this two day thing. Like that would be cool. I don't want to get on a 700, you know, like a 701 kind of thing. I want to find stuff that's like 350, 450, 500 territory that's like, Maybe it's a dual sport event, but maybe it's like long days, more gnarly trail than it is like roads. And that'll probably change when I get closer to 50, but you know, 42 right now. Well, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's my buddy and I were just having this conversation too, because we got a lot of friends who, you know, don't want to do the race thing. And they'll, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need to race. I just want to go ride. And it's like, right. But the, the racing is its own experience. Like you don't have to go yeah. race, but you can just go ride. I mean, some of the, some of the venues, like if you go to page Arizona, I don't know if you've been to not yet, but man, I want to go. Okay. But like, if you go look at that terrain on your own, there's no way in hell that you're going to be able to put together a ride like you would get to do at the race where everything's ribboned off and hey go here and try this and get out of your comfort zone on this like when you go look at these features when you're just on your bike without being told where to go it's really hard to kind of unless you're super creative and kind of have that mentality of building your own course to begin with you wouldn't have anywhere any idea where to start but instead you just get to show up yeah, of course, there's an entry fee and there's drive time and, and all this other stuff. But then you just get to go do this badass thing that you wouldn't do on your own to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then there's the bench racing aspect of it, too. Like, honestly, like there's just something. I mean, yeah, sure. We bench race every time after any kind of ride. But, man, I don't know what it is about bench racing at the end of an event. You know what I mean? Like, and I say event right. as in like maybe it is a big dual sport event. Maybe it is a race. Like, there's just something different about that. You know, yeah. and I feel like that's part of the value that you get out of supporting those kind of um, those events as well versus like, you know, just a long day on the bike. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I had to sit out some of the races last year when Dane was participating. And of course, like the morning of you're sitting around, I'm totally not none of the nerves, none of the, the you know, I got to get the bike ready, get this and eat this and drink this and and. So that part was nice and I'm watching everybody else kind of go through it, but then the race starts and I'm like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks. But then <laughs> yeah. after the race is the worst part. Cause everybody talks about it for like two days and you're just like, shut up. It's not that big a deal. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. You're like, I understand that you can't walk right now, but I'm not packing everybody's shit because I didn't ride. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yes. <Like> that's like. <laughs> Put your own shit away. Yeah. yeah, I have to listen to you talk about the event. I'm not cleaning up for you after it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, fitness. Let's talk about oh, that a little bit. God, Jesus, I got so many thoughts. Yeah, man, ask a question. What do you? What do you? What do you? What are you thinking? Well, for you, curious. Like, when you? When do you start working out? In general. Um, I had never been into a gym like any kind of gym until college when a buddy of mine was on the wrestling team and we were very good friends. He was kind of like taking some of that knowledge and bringing me to the gym with him. So like, okay, cool. That didn't do anything. Right. Like I'm, you can, I'm still skinny as AF right now. Right. Like obviously it didn't do anything. And that muscle that I might have gained at the time didn't stick with me. Um, but it's always been on the bike stuff, right? Like even when I raced mountain bikes and actually went to a couple Norba events way back in the day, like it was always just like, well, I'm just going to do cross country and this, that, the other. Um, when I started riding more, I took a little bit of that, or sorry, racing more like in that 07 period on through, I took a little bit of that knowledge that I had gained while talking to people about racing mountain bikes and kind of tried to apply it. But again, very, very limited. I didn't know what I was doing. It's just, you work with the best you can. You don't have money to pay anybody. That seems retarded and stupid. You know, we always think we know what we're doing. Um, and so it wasn't until 2010 when Groupon got really big and CrossFit gyms started using Groupon uh. and a buddy of mine had been going 
um, to a local CrossFit gym, uh, Dallas Strong. Uh, so CrossFit Strong here in Dallas. Um, one of the earlier affiliates, freaking huge. Gail Yoakum is an amazing human being. Um, and I went with him. So I bought that little group on and went with him and I fell in love because it was all the things about, you know, whatever, let's please understand. I'm not saying the CrossFit games. I know you understand. I'm not saying the CrossFit games, but CrossFit, the methodology and the classes that I was attending was not that, and it didn't need to be that for me and for everybody right. else that was there. Totally. And so I, I found what I loved because every single day was different every single day. And it still is. I learned something new. I'm doing something different. And for somebody who's as scatterbrained as I am, but also likes to work on the finite technical movements, man, I mean, I found it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was like, Dah! so 2010 till now, like I've been in and out of, of different CrossFit boxes. Uh, and then I got my L1 in 2019. So I, and uh, I've been coaching since then, actually up until this week, I just told the local box that I've been coaching at um, that I'm going to stop coaching for a little while, specifically because I'm going to focus on some other things. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I need to, even though it's not much, it's just prep time. The, the, the concept of that, I want to give people the best hour of their day, right? Like I'm their coach and they're there. And I want to, one, I want them to have fun. I want them to not get hurt. And I want them to learn something like, hmm, sounds like the content that I make. Right. Um, it's like, you know, like, and so, and so I, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I've kind of taken that pressure off of myself for a little while, while I kind of focus on some other things. Um, I think at a base level where we all get fitness wrong is, is, the way we get all of it wrong, right? Like we think that I'm not doing this thing. I want to be better at this other thing. So I'm going to utilize, you know, like I want to be a better dirt bike racer. So I'm going to go work out because I want to be a better dirt bike racer. Well, the problem is, is that, you know, you, you just, a lot of us just go heavy handed for three months and we don't see any results because we, we don't know what we're doing. We're overdoing it. We're underdoing it. Um, and then, so we get so frustrated or we spend so much time and it takes away from all the things we wanted, we actually really want to be doing that. Then we just stop. And then we're like, well, no, no, I don't work out because working out doesn't work. Like, I'm just going to go ride. Well, okay. Well, well, yeah. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. But then, and, and that's with anything, right? Like right. that's not just the fitness aspect, but we could take that same mindset to it. So if you bring it further back and say, you know what, if I do one thing every day, at a level that I can handle, that consistency builds up. And after a year, two years, three years, you realize you're so much further down the line than you would have ever been if you had forced yourself to try to keep up with whatever it was you think you thought you should be doing for those three months that you were trying to bust your ass to be better quickly, right? Because right. you know what I mean? And so that's kind of where I'm at now. That's where I've gone. Um, and, and that's how I approach life now again. When you're like, what are your goals? My goal is to make it to 95 and still be able to be a fucking badass. Like I want, you know what I mean? Like I want to be happy, healthy, and hopefully still humble when I'm 95. And I can't do that if I don't do the things I need to do now to prepare my body to be able to handle that kind of stuff. You know, when I was going to race dirt bikes and not be too slow. Yeah, totally. I, it's, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I, I know we were kind of touching on this earlier, but that dirt bike community in general seems to be 10 15 years behind other sport industries even and then yeah. you know well, they were 10 to 15 the, years the behind health up. industry yeah. right 
It's um, the man up mentality. Like there's still people out there that are telling you, oh, you're getting blisters. You just need to fucking toughen up your hands. And I'm like, well, some no. people do. <laughs> like, okay. And I'm probably one of them. Let's not like, a, like Brian's a little bitch. Like that's just what it is. But like, no, like that's not it. Because that right. worked for you does not mean that works for literally everybody else out there. And right. that is, it's that exact mentality um, everywhere. It's, and it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, I don't know. It's interesting, right? Because there's, there's training for life, training for longevity, training to be healthy and fit. Then there's training for performance, which is different, yeah. right? Um, and then finding, finding out what that means for you. And being honest with yourself, like having an honest conversation with yourself, because like perfection is a form of paralysis, right? And I feel like that's where a lot of people fall into that, that area of, well, that's not the perfect thing for me, so I'm not going to do it. Or, or they're using that as like a way to procrastinate and, and put things off. I'll do it tomorrow and I'll do it tomorrow. And it's like, well, if, if, if it's tomorrow, it might as well be fucking 10 years from now, because the likelihood is it's not going to happen. And so I get so frustrated with this, like, well, I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to do anything. Like it drives, it's one of the things that, and like, I hear all the time now I'm 41. Yeah. Fuck. Of course I feel different than I did when I was 20. <laughs> Cause I'm not like, 20. <laughs> oh no shit. But like, and it's sure. Like I'll joke about it. Yeah. I'm getting old, whatever. But I swear to God, I hope I never mean that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that like, well, I'm old. So, well, I'm just, that's it. I'm going to, you know, relegate myself to sit on the couch and eating fucking lays. Like, uh, -uh not going to happen. Yeah. Sure. Well, I got to work, work a little smarter. Maybe I can't do all the volume and, you know, everything I was doing when I was 20 and get away with it. I got to be smarter and maybe narrow down where I want to focus and spend my time, but I'm going to do that. I'm not just going to give yeah. up on the things I want to do. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. Yeah. Like if you don't beat yourself up because you didn't do a thing, you're like, you know what? Damn, I didn't do it. I still want to do that. Or I still want that. Cool. Start today. Right. Do literally the most, the, the most mundane, smallest thing that's going to move you towards that. And then all of a sudden that thing tomorrow is going to be easier. You know why? Cause you already did it and you realize it didn't actually like feel like you did anything. So then all of a sudden that one thing becomes two things. And then again, it's, it's a very consistent, easy level playing field way to build up. And then you look back in a year later and you're just like, damn, that was way easier than I thought it was. And I am way further along than I thought I would be just by doing these very small, consistent things. Totally. I'm being a little vague, but it's just because of the fact that that idea can be taken anywhere. It's not just to fitness. Right. Yeah. And, and, part of that too is like you don't i feel like you don't know how out of shape you are until you start trying to be in shape like because i've been fairly consistent let's say over what is it 20 so 14 years right but then throughout that 14 years i've had massive period months where i've kind of done nothing and been a blob and then come back into it but you kind of only remember the best part of you right and so yeah until you start trying it again, you're like, oh yeah, I'm probably pretty fit. Like I was a couple months ago, you know, I'm pretty strong this night. And then you go out and you try and run a mile or something again. And at like 200, you know, after that first 20 seconds, you're just like dying and you're going pale and people are like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, uh, 
Jesus Christ. Like I'm a little bit further life, back than I life, thought. Life. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's that, uh, that's the, you know, you see it a lot when you see new people come into a CrossFit gym because they played football or they used to work out a lot, like you said. And then you start asking questions and you realize that that mindset, they're like, they're walking in with the mind, the body that they think they have of 20 years ago. Right. And it's like, whoa, how, how do we create such a disconnect? Right. right. Like, and, and I, I'm, that's not a judgmental question. That is a real question because we all do it with different aspects of things in our lives. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting to me. Yeah. That's one of the big things. I think there's also for whatever reason, a little bit, I'm curious if you've seen it in your gym, but at least for us here and in the moto world too, there seems like a bigger barrier for entry for dudes than for ladies to get into fitness. Like, I don't know if there's an ego attachment to that. Um, a little bit of like, uh, you are where you are. And if you actually have to go prove it, you know, the weights don't lie. They're kind of the yeah. same weights for everybody. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but there's definitely a different level. I think there's maybe a societal expectation for men to know certain things too, when it comes to like lifting weights and all this stuff. And whereas yeah. ladies are more, a little bit more open-minded, like, cool, I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to go, go do this thing. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting because, and I wonder if that's like a, I'm going to say this and I think it's the wrong thing, like a socio socioeconomic thing. Like in Idaho, I would assume that there are a lot more women that do outdoorsy things than there are in Texas. Like and by Texas, outdoorsy things are boats on lakes, which is still drinking. Let's be honest. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. Yeah, that's fine. It's yeah. fine. Um, you know what I mean? Where like outdoorsy things in Idaho are vastly different, right? Like we have hiking, we have those kinds of things, but it's not the norm. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that outdoor lifestyle is not as normal here. And so I think that there is a, a, a more interesting barrier to entry for women here because like women don't lift weights. Women don't have muscles. Women don't want to be strong, right? Like there's this like concept of that. Um, um, you know, and I think too, like I see more men message and come in for tryouts than I do women but I see women stay around more when they try out. Oh, interesting. So I don't know what that says, right? Oh, wow. Like in that aspect. Um, but I do think that, that, that the men aspect of it, I do think we have more ego around that because we're men. Like we're supposed to be fucking strong. We're supposed to take care of everybody. We're supposed to not worry about ourselves. And we have all these expectations. And, you know, and so I think so, like, I could see that being extremely hard in different situations for people to kind of like to come back to a beginner mindset and be like, you know what? I did really good yesterday, but today's a different day. I probably shouldn't put too much ego on my shoulders because in reality, like it's a new day and it's going to be different. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of goes to the growth mindset idea, right? The closed or what is it? Closed or open? What's that book? I can't even think of it right now. Growth Mindset by Su oh. uh, Carol, Carol Dweck, Susan Dweck. I know the book I, and it's on my read list, but I haven't actually got to oh, it. Oh, you haven't got I talk, oh. I talk to, you know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset a lot, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fantastic book. Um, and it, it, what, what's interesting about that too is like, even for myself, I've had, even still currently, I have some areas where I'm super growth mindset and some areas where I'm fixed. And I can identify them quicker 
and and try and make the corrections but i still have areas where i've just closed off like nope this is it and then all of a sudden i'm like wait a minute like what's going on like i thought yeah. i read the book i thought i took care of this you know um so it's it's an implementation issue but i think awareness you know being able to identify it quicker helps yeah for me it was uh learning to listen like i you can tell like i'm a high energy person i'm <laughs> i mean like um but at the same time, like I was always a responder. Like I was the person sitting there while somebody was talking, already thinking about my response, ignoring the rest of the word that had come out of their mouth. And I'm just waiting for them to stop talking so that I can start talking. Right. And I wasn't, I didn't, one, I didn't realize this, but two, it wasn't to be rude. It wasn't to ignore what they were saying. It wasn't to de devalue anything. It was the fact that I was a responder. I wasn't a listener. And it wasn't until that I kind of became aware of that and realized I need to learn how to listen. What? learning how to listen means is I need to learn how to become aware. I need to start paying attention. And we don't realize how far to left field we get with that kind of stuff. And awareness is, is again, a concept that you can work on, that you right. can put effort towards and get better at. And so that's exactly what you're saying is like, there are these places in your life where it's, it's, it made sense. It was black and white for you that it's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm listening here. I'm very much listening. But what, what we don't realize is how that starts to tenfold itself into every other part of our life. And so there's these places where we're still going to have kind of this wall, like you said, you're like, nope, this is what it is. I'm not listening. But it's going to wear in, you know what I mean? And it's going to kind of continue to chip away at that wall. And I think that, yeah, I think a lot of people in the moto community <laughs> should start listening and stop responding for a hot minute because it is just it's interesting how the comments are just so fucking ignorant um and, and and yes yes some of that is social and this is our niche so it feels so much closer to us but god damn it just feels like it's this like it's it's for some reason like our community the moto community is just like vastly ignorant and maybe it's because the majority of people in it are older. I don't know that. I just, maybe that's what it is. And so there is this level of, of I've done this longer than you. So I know more than you. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I try and think back to where that comes from. And I, I wonder if we're just at a spot where most people have grown up with like their own local community or or fellowship or whatever you want to call it but that's all they knew right so they they grew up in this bubble they rode with the same people they learned from the old school guys who passed the knowledge down and this is how you do this this and this and now we're still at such a young stage of communicating that to other bubbles around the world but now everybody has access to everybody else's bubble so when you put something out that says this they just go fuck you like no way not a chance this is how it's yeah. done I got blocked uh, today. I got blocked. Um, and and the, the guy who blocked me made sure to comment that he was blocking me in, uh, in, in a Facebook group today. Like he literally put like hiding OP's posts, you know, like in parentheses to make sure that, and then, then proceeded to put the comment about why he's blocking me. I was like, I don't get that mentality. Like you cannot like what I have to say. That is fine. But why the, why don't you just ignore me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know that yeah. that's like hit the block so that 
you don't see my post anymore and move on with your life. Like, what is that, that drive to be, to, to, to voice your opinion that much about your disdain for me? I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't, don't feel that I do that. I probably do. Please call me out. I'd love to get better. But again, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just not aware of it and I need to keep listening more. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, there's definitely, yeah, some stuck in the waves and my way or the highway mentality around it, which is so- I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's a weird place to, to be in. Um, we had, I remember when we put out one of our promo videos, like the only comments that were in the comments, that, and this is Facebook, like I basically don't do Facebook at all. I'll, if there's comments or notifications or or not notifications, like a in, something comes in the inbox, I'll respond to it. Other than that, I don't fucking touch Facebook. Like it, it's just a disaster area. And every single comment was something like, uh, this is such a stupid idea. Like if you, if, if you want to get fit, you should just ride your dirt bike, blah, blah, blah. And like, I spent, I don't know, way too much time, like clicking on profiles and just looking. It was like, Everybody was a hundred pounds overweight and like with a bass and a Bud Light in most of their photos, you know? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm out. I don't need yeah, to be no, I, about it. That's not the rabbit hole that you need to go down. No. And, like, <laughs> and usually, usually there was also like their profile pic was like 10 years ago on a dirt bike. Right. But all their current right. photos are just, oh, it's hilarious. I'm like, good God. It's a, it's a world we live in, man. It's a world we live in. Yeah. Pretty funny. Um, if you could go back to your racing days, because at the time you weren't doing anything with training, what do you think could have been better for you? Do you think you would have seen improvements if you would have been doing some type of strength training regimen off the bike and conditioning? Absolutely. Um, back to the basics, um, 110%. Like I never had any of that kind of training. Um, I, I did do a couple of Shane Watts classes. Like if I were to go back like that, right? Like I would... I would pour into that kind of stuff. You know, the stuff that Rich Larson is putting out is amazing. I wish yep. that I had, I wish that I had that control. You know what? The good news is I have the full capability to get that control. I just, I need to put that and make it a priority. I don't want that to be a priority right now because that amount of control in those areas, I'm not ready for that yet. Do you know what I mean? Like in the sense that I have other goals, I have other things that I want to accomplish on a dirt bike than just being able to do the cool shit he does. But I, so I would definitely go back to the basics um, and find um, mentors, fast, not, I say faster riders, riders that I can tell, you know, like have a certain skill set and that know right. how to help someone work on the basics and come right. back to that. And yes, absolutely. I, dude, you get into a fitness program that you like and that gets you moving and that the concept is to make you a more resilient, stronger human being. And I say it like that because I want you, I don't want to tell you to go find CrossFit. What I do want to tell you to do is go find the thing that, that you enjoy so that it doesn't feel like a struggle to come back because environment is half of the battle sometimes, oh. right? And so if it's a place you don't want to be, well, why would you go? You know yeah. what I mean? And so, uh, but the whole concept is like, make sure you're working, that you're working on strength and, the, and, but strength for resiliency, right? Strength for longevity. Like if you're becoming a bodybuilder, it, you're working against yourself um, when it comes to the goal of being a 
better, stronger, longer, healthier writer, right? Right. Um, At some point in so the journey, though, that, right? I, would, I mean, that's the, because it's also contextual. And that's obviously, I'm slightly biased because we have a strength conditioning program geared toward dirt bikers, enduro method. But um, like, if you're, if you're, if you're in the very beginning of your journey, like doing bodybuilding type style lifting might be fantastic for you, right? If you're someone who's new to the gym, wants to gain some muscle mass, like maybe that's the best thing for you. And if you spend four months diving into that thing and you can gain, you know, four or five pounds of lean muscle mass over the course of that time, that's fantastic. Then you can learn yeah. and then you can transition into, you know, because it, I think that's the other thing that's so misunderstood sometimes. It's not like whatever you do now is the same thing you got to be doing in a year. Like you can yeah. change things up, right? And, and what somebody else is doing in their 10-year journey is probably not where you should start. <laughs> wow yeah 500 pound deadlift tomorrow we got this yeah exactly so so what do you you know it's like you got to start somewhere and the best time to do it is now and then you know that where you where you finish or where you're going to be in a couple months if you continue to do that thing is not going to be where you started and then you can make a more educated decision in the direction you would like to go but yeah until you start, I mean, I use squatting as an example, because there, like, there's so much information online on how to squat correctly. You could watch videos, and there's fantastic videos out there. Don't get me wrong. Great tutorials, great photos and angles and lines drawn and everything. And you could, do, you could look at those for like three weeks. But until you go do it and feel what it looks like with your hips, ankles, knees, torso, yeah. like, what, what does all that other shit matter? Like, just do it, do it safely, right? Don't, don't load up a barbell and do your first one. Start in front of a mirror with your shoes off and do some air squats. Yep. Maybe, maybe film it and then compare or whatever, but like, just start doing it. And then you're going to, you're going to have all these new questions and, and, and further evidence and um, information to be able to guide your journey forward. And that goes for every single thing you do in the fitness realm. Like you just got to start doing it and then you'll have a better idea of where to go. Yeah. And that's why I like when you guys came out with Enduro Method at the beginning of last year, like I had talked to you guys as, as soon as I could, because I was just like, finally, like somebody gets it. Like we need to have a place for people to come to this that have absolutely no idea what to do. They don't know how to move. They don't know how to, what, why weights are involved, why I cardio, why I might be on an assault bike and then want to vomit afterwards like and so you know it's like and, and so yeah like i think a program like enduro method is a, a phenomenal place for people that are trying to become better riders and have no idea what they're doing but on the flip side of that for all of the shit that we talked about about consistency and getting out of your own head it's also a great thing to be able to do and follow and just do it don't overthink it you right. guys are programming to help them get better every day. And it's going to be um, relative, right? Like I can't, I, again, 500 pound deadlift. I can't do a 500 pound deadlift. So my percentages off of my deadlift are going to be different than your percentages off of a deadlift, right. which is that's relative weight, right? It's, it works the same way when it comes to the programming and the years that you've been doing something, the movements that are going to be involved. Totally. So, yeah. And I mean, as much as like, I'd be like, yeah, Enduro Method's the, the best option I think out there for dirt bikers. 
if it doesn't work for you to work out by yourself, but you do work better in a class setting or you have a local gym, that's awesome. Like fucking go there. Like, that's great. <laughs> Seriously. Like I would rather everybody just get fitness in because it is like from a mental, I mean, we haven't even touched on any of the mental standard parts of that, but like, it's one of the best things you can do for mental health. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things that um, you, you see in a lot of situations when it comes to being in a community class is the, let's just say it, with CrossFit, there's a clock and there's other people, right? Now, a good coach is going to watch everybody in the class to make sure that form doesn't go out the window, right? right You're going to collapse at some point. But, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, but at the same time, like when, you know, Susie Q, who you've beaten a couple of times, but has beaten you, like, you're like, fuck, man, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not letting go. Or like, you know, you're like, I'm trying to beat a certain time on the clock. Like that ability to be uncomfortable at, and push yourself through those, man, alive, those moments will carry with you through the rest of your life. That idea of like being comfortable, being uncomfortable is, is insane. And what's strange is that in, in different types of fitness and exercise regimes, like you can get some fucking amazing mindset work done while you're throwing weight around because of the uncomfortable places that it puts you because you can't give up. And by not giving up, you're, that is here. That's not just about weight. It's not just about your current strength capacity or how much you can run and stuff like that as much as people think it is. Right. Yeah, if you the, want more of that shit, go listen to David Groggins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to the endurance side of training too, like long, slow distance or running. And um, one, of the, one of the good ones that I heard was it teaches patience, right? Um, which is interesting because, and I would say that's where like the high intensity, like you need, you need everything, right? You need to be doing some longer, slow stuff um, for all kinds of reasons. You also need to be doing some high intensity stuff and, and of course lifting heavy stuff and all that. But the, the long, slow stuff is it's almost its own form of meditation in a way, right? You're out yeah. there, you're kind of uncomfortable. It's not terrible, but you're uncomfortable. Um, but you got to sit with that. And then, the patience part is you got to be comfortable just doing that for, for a while. And some people love that and are super good at that. I'm, I'm not, I never did an endurance sport in my life. You know, I was, it was all football, basketball, baseball, sprint stuff, you know, sprint and rest, sprint and rest, sprint and rest. Right. And I still remember um, when I was a little kid and we lived on this dirt road and it was like a half mile, we were in the middle, half mile each way. And my neighbor who was actually my, head football coach in high school but they, they had three boys and I was good friends with them and we went down to the mailbox and everybody we were all running and I would sprint and then I'd wait for everybody and I'd sprint and I'd wait for everybody and on the way back one of the boys the older boy was just jogging steady the whole time with his dad you know and we'd get to a hill and I'd sprint up the hill and I'd be at the top like hey I'd fucking beat everybody yeah waiting for everybody to come up and uh and he turned to his son and he said, you know, I'm really proud of you for being consistent and just um, being steady or something. And at the time in my head, I'm like, what, proud of you for like losing, not being at the top of every hill? Like, <laughs> but it took a long time to like get this idea of mentality of, of patience and, and just like steady state longer 
longer work. I don't know. It's just that yeah. was a memory that's always stuck with me. And I think, um, you know, there's importance on both sides because the, on the flip side of that, like a lot of endurance athletes, and again, I'm not speaking for, this is a generalization, but usually if you get really, really good long endurance athletes, they have a really hard time knowing how to push at 100%. Typically, mm. they're, they're leaving something in the tank, right? And, and you take a sprint athlete, they're really poor at being able to leave stuff in the tank and go for a long time. Yeah. Um, and there's some unique characteristics, characteristics of people who can have that ability to kind of do both, but yeah. you can definitely I'm 100% learn on the endurance side. Like I, I, I definitely lean more towards the, um, you know, just because of like my body composition and all that stuff as well. Like I'm very much more of an endurance athlete, like the way I'm built, but even like mentally, like I've always just kind of been a little bit more like slow and not slow and steady. You know what I mean? And like, I've had to, like, there's been a couple of times where I've had to just, I've had to force myself to blow up in workouts because it's like, I need to know what the fuck that really feels like. Yeah. Like, to sprint yeah. and to really know, like, that's disgusting. Now I actually know what 90% of a hundred percent is. Cause I don't right. ever want to do that again. <laughs> totally. The first, when we first opened the gym, we got our first assault bike. There was like four of us around and literally unpacked it out of the box uh completely cold like not working out just pulled the air bike out of the box and we're like i don't know let's do max minute calories and just see how many you can get so completely cold we each did it probably one of the closest times i've ever been to vomiting from working out hit 60 calories in 60 seconds cold and was completely fucked for six hours yeah yeah like, yeah i I, like I can't do that many calories that quickly. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. I'll never forget the pain from that. I mean, it's probably like a slightly PTSD. Like I just, I have a heart, like pushing that hard on the salt bike for that long now. Yeah. It's brings back. Yeah, you're like 20 seconds max, buddy. 20 yeah. seconds max. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> um, what happened with your, uh, I remember seeing a chainsaw thing. Um, so yeah good god so we were uh that when we were in montrose for again of things that i want to do like that's kind of one of those things i want to go ride with people that know the area and kind of like dig in and one of those people was morgan from highland cycles so i went up to montrose took the family we did an rv trip and everything like that and that thursday night i was going out to do their little work trail ride with them so we were getting chainsaws moving logs all that kinds of stuff because it's that time of year i'm sure same for y'all up there and um we built this <laughs> like this one uh like big old stump had come across the trail and we were like but it was this elevated kind of off camber spot and everything like bro like that could be a cool log to actually leave let's clean it up a little bit so we clean it up and stuff like that but we just got done using the chainsaws morgan puts the chainsaw back in the front of his bike and i was like well good news you get to be the first one to ride it because you know you cut it okay so like none of us thought about it like how dumb what was about to happen was and and i specifically walked around the stump a bunch of times like everybody's like why would you stand there i was like believe me there was 15 seconds of me trying to figure out like where to stand because i was like this is a decent angle this is a decent angle this is a decent angle and then the bike started and i was like ah fuck it i'll just stand here <laughs> 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 like 
you know what I mean? Like that's how just like out of it, we, we, either of us were about like, or any of us, there was eight of us there about how bad of an idea this was that any of us were on anywhere near remotely close to the log while right. he's riding a dirt bike that has a chainsaw on the front of it. Right. Well, so I've he never thought twice he, about it. Yeah. Yeah. He essentially biffs it and comes straight at me. I mean, you literally couldn't have planned it any better. And luckily I have decent reflexes and I kind of like jumped and put my hand up. Well, if you watch the video enough, you're like, man, that chainsaw barely grazes me. So what we think happened, the reason why I'm cut, but not bad. And there was no real torn, disgusting skin. Well, one, the chainsaw wasn't on, but two, he was just using it. So it was super hot still. So we're thinking that it was kind of like a hot knife through butter that the, that the chainsaw just kind of grazed my skin. And because it was so hot, it kind of just like melted its way in because it huh. didn't bleed that much. There was definitely blood, but it really didn't bleed that much. So it kind of acted like it was cauterized and everything like that. Um, dude, it was the best it could have been for the situation that it was, to be completely honest, because like if it had been, I mean, even halfway, even 2% worse, like the, the chance of me bleeding out out there would have been vastly high because yeah. of we were probably 30 minutes from the truck minimum maybe 20 if we could have gone faster and they knew like a quicker route. I, obviously I didn't know the area. He had a med kit, so he was able to wrap it up. But if I'd have been profusely bleeding by any means, like we were riding our dirt bikes, I would have had, we would have had to have gotten back somehow. Right. Like, yeah, sure. We would have left the bike and I'd have jumped on the back, but you know, I'm like riding with my arm in the air, I guess, like to keep the blood from flowing out and everything like, so it could have been bad. Right. Um, we laughed about it so much because like, what can you do? Like, none of not a single person made a good decision about any of that so who you don't blame anybody in that stuff right you literally chalk it up to stupidity and you make a video about it to hopefully help other people not make the same mistake totally um on that note what do you carry for um gear or let's say trail safety or trail emergency in your pack Is that Man, i don't have anything I, I after that i we've been looking at a lot of med kits and stuff like that um and i need to buy one i mean 100 percent. like if, if he didn't have what he had because his wife was the one who told him to start carrying it we'd yeah. probably like we would have been cutting jerseys you know what i mean and getting duct tape that somebody probably would have had on an ibuprofen bottle or whatever um and, and wrapping it with a nasty disgusting gross dirty sweaty jersey sleeve and then using duct tape to to tape it up and just kind of been like well let's see what happens hopefully it makes it um, where luckily he had a bunch of gauze, he had a bunch of uh, safety stuff and a little bit of crap to keep it moist. Um, so, but yeah, like, honestly, even at this point, like going to one of the, the Molly panel med kits that you could like easily keep in your car and just grab and throw in your gear bag. Like when you're going like, dude, like, yes, that's what we, <laughs> like, we need that. Like we should be carrying that. Yeah. Yeah. Dane, Dane's a lot better about this than I am, but um, we've, landed on your your pretty much basics we got a like a backpacker med kit something light small but i always ride with that dana has one as well um water filter filtration system of some sort uh waterproof matches which i've actually had to use on multiple occasions at this point and then rain jacket for the most part just in idaho or, or that yeah. this area like um because it'll be i mean literally hot during the day smoking hot and then sun starts to go down and if you're coming in late even and you come off being all sweaty all day and 
I've done both. I've had my rain jacket out and left it and needed it. And then I've had it and used it. And usually that's when I yeah. settle on. It's worth packing. Um, and the mask, yeah, it's, it's different. Like around too. here, yeah, around Texas, we just, you know, it's just a butt pack, like whatever I would carry in a race. You know what I mean? Like, because again, it's private land. We're never that far from the truck. But whenever I go to Colorado, I try to be much more diligent. I mean, I pack food, you know what I mean? Yeah. The rain jacket, like you're talking about, toe straps um as many extra parts as i like physically want to carry right like levers and uh things like that just to um potentially uh, have anything that i might so i don't have to have a trail bound fix right a, a diamond fail fix on yeah. the on the side of the trail um and stuff like that so i'm much more diligent uh, about that but obviously gonna gonna add a med kit to that um for when it comes down to those longer days on the bike in colorado and things i, I mean honestly even here in texas like because again it doesn't matter stupidity can happen out there and you could bleed it out in two minutes and regardless of the truck being five minutes away like, totally. so it's smart to start carrying this stuff yeah med kit i think is a pretty uh pretty necessary i've had to we've had to bust it out on more occasions than we would like to have but something good to for have. any chainsaw incidents yet or no no um no. i personally there's a uh yeah i don't really pack chainsaw I don't have the, I feel like this might, I'm not old enough to want to go out and spend my days cutting logs yet. Um, there might be some people who disagree with that, but that's where I'm at. I will go over them all day. I do not yeah. want to take, like, I'm, I'm sick. I get it. And I look, if you're out there cutting logs, awesome. Thank you for doing the work. I love it. And I'll go help and do all the things, but I'm not at a point yet where I'm packing a saw and that's where I'm spending my, yeah. my riding days. I strangely loved every up until the chainsaw incident. I love yeah. that ride. Yeah. Like that, that like collective, like we're meeting because we're going to go ride these things and clear this kind of stuff. And it's like the people that don't have saws are grabbing the logs and moving them. The people that have saws yeah. are cutting and then you're like jumping and going and stuff. Like I was like, dude, like this is so efficient. Like we're, and it's, and it's helpful. You know what I mean? It's oh, helping other riders, the community. Yeah. And I was like, I could totally, again, if I was in a public area and it made a lot of sense, like um, I could totally see myself kind of like easily getting into that. Um, maybe that's an age thing. Maybe it's not, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I carry a, uh, a like a handsaw. Um, but usually, you know, you're not cutting big logs out of the trail. So you're finding other ways around going over, cutting limbs, cleaning it up and get over it. Uh, and again, if you're one of the folks is out there clearing logs, thank you. And maybe at some point I'll be, I'll be doing that. But for now it's, it's riding, not logging. To understand understandable because yeah. it is different it's it's a different thing and i've been on rides that that's what we've done with other folks who have saws and that's fine i just need to know what, I'm, what we're getting into what you, you know? signed up for yep yeah exactly because it does have to get done if it doesn't get done you know it's no fun for a lot of people and not everybody's uh you could say it's very limiting on trail experience if there's a shit ton of logs that are down yeah so. But I agree. I do like riding over a good elevated log just to continue to test myself and uh, and uh, entertain others when I uh, tumble. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about, is there anything from a dirt bike perspective, skill-wise? Like, I mean, the videos that Rich is doing are fucking amazing. Um, kind of getting people in that mindset of practice, doing drills on the bike. Uh, is there currently anything that you're 
kind of putting time aside to practice. Yeah. I, I mean, I treat it as a warm up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Like, I'll do some stretches and stuff like that, get the blood flowing and uh, do some push ups and things of that nature. Um, but then the first thing I do when I get on the bike, majority of the time is kind of like, is, uh, is just clutch and throttle control, um, practicing trying to get that front end up. Um, a wheelie to me would be cool. But in the long run, the I, the concept that I'm practicing on is going to be so much more worthwhile than the wheelie, right? right? You know what I mean? And, and and I have been in many situations in enduros, right? Not even hard enduro or anything like that, where if I could have done a quick pivot turn, dude, easily would have saved me 10 seconds. Mi right. Minimum, you know what I mean? Sometimes longer and because energy. you start to like, yo, solid point and energy. But then like, you start heading down the trail and somebody else gets in your way. And then you got to this, that, the other, you get stuck in a vine. And all of a sudden you're a minute down the trail because you couldn't do a pivot turn. And it's right. like, it doesn't need to look cool. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, I don't need to learn how to do a pivot turn effectively. So I look good. I need to learn how to do a pivot turn effectively so that I have clutch and throttle control when and where I need it. Right. So that's a, that's a, that's, I think is one that's a, a, a great place to, to play around and practice that in turns. Um, uh, when I warm up, I'll go create um, like a, not just a figure eight, but the concept of a figure eight, like some, I'll just go out one direction, taking a bunch of lefts and a bunch of rights and a bunch of lefts and a bunch of rights. And then I'll turn around at some point and I'll come back and a bunch of lefts, a bunch of rights. And so, and, and there they've, I try to vary them so that I get a little bit more of a, more of a hard, hard in one spot. So that when I come back the other way, that the exit's a little bit more open and vice versa, things like that. Right. Um, just because of the fact that, man, you, so you breaking and turning, that's where you, I mean, it's where you lose speed because that's where you have to take away speed to be able to turn. So yeah. again, and then it just comes down to the same idea of the throttle, um, clutch and throttle control that we can create within that. But then we're bringing the braking aspect into it more um, than just kind of that, that loft into the front wheel. Right. Awesome. Yeah, uh, shameless plug on this one, but Dan and I finally put together a pre-ride warm-up and filmed it. Um, so it's in the editing nice. process. I'm going to put that out soon. Um, so that'll be... Put it on the Enduro channel or the Enduro Method YouTube channel? Yeah, yep. There's basically all demo videos, nothing of real <laughs> like entertaining content. Unless, I mean, some of the demo hey, videos might be, but... Literally just where it starts, man. You just got to keep... What is it? We got to stay consistent oh man yeah it's a different beast this whole media and filming and all that stuff well i have a lot of theories and not a lot of followers so yeah <laughs> it's a good place to be at least you don't <laughs> run out of content hey man hey, come on you've heard how much i talk are you serious like, I, could, <laughs> I, I got i got a i got a, a word doc full of ideas that i'm yeah. just like slowly kind of slowly kind of uh taken away at yeah so one thing real quick before we go i'm curious on you um for other reasons but you quit drinking yep right? how long has it been yep. um it was i want to say it was january 1st this year and not because i like went hard on new year's like by any means i didn't um i had been lightly drinking you know, I had gotten to the the, the pan by the by the time the pandemic hit in 2020, I was already on this concept of like, damn, where am I at with drinking? And so a lot of the times when everybody's sitting outside in front, like I was busting out non-alcoholic beers and stuff like that, and nobody knew, right? I just kept in the koozie, wasn't saying anything about it. I was just doing it for me. Um, no. 
And I didn't, uh, well, if anything, I was a little nervous of being judged. You yeah. know? So there's part of that too. Um, but then again, like if I, there was a time that I wanted to drink, I would drink. Like, and I, I just kind of, but I, what I noticed is as I was being more conscious of it, like the times that I chose to drink were becoming less and less and less. And I was at a party for New Year's Eve, hanging out with people. And I was kind of like, yeah, it's New Year's. Do I want to drink? Yeah, I want to drink. Okay, cool like that, you know, whatever. And I woke up and and, and I had a, a, a slight hangover, you know, no shots, no nothing like that. Like literally just consistent kind of drinking. And in the long run, too much, yes, for a hangover, but not in excess. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm fighting myself. Like, I don't want this anymore. I keep asking myself why I'm drinking. And even though, again, I don't really drink that much. And it's not like it took me eight hours to recover from a hangover. Again, it wasn't that bad. It was just kind of like, this is stupid. Like, why am I fighting myself on this? And so since then, I haven't, I haven't drank. And it's been like, this, it, there has been no struggle. I have been out at bars till 2 a.m. watching music, metal shows and stuff like that and had no issues. I don't care. Um, right. I, it's not a judgment thing. Um, you know, it's a literal you do you. Um, but again, if I go back to my why, I want to be happy, healthy, and hopefully still humble when I'm 95. Drinking is not going to help me get there. Right. Right. It Drinking is only going to hurt me get to, it's only going to hurt me get there. Hurt, hurt me to get to that. Right. Um, it's a hindrance in that why. Right. And so again, like, it's kind of like, it kind of made sense. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. So it's I, been, it's, I guess January 1st. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, in asking that question, it's not a judgment on, well, you obviously, or anybody else, or, you know, everybody's on their own path and journey, but I had personally did something similar. Um, when was it 20? Well, it was my birthday a year ago two years ago, I guess now, year and whatever, a couple of months, um, where I just decided I was going to quit for an entire year. And so I'm on the other side of that year, still haven't drank, not sure where I stand with it long, like fully long-term. Um, but it was really cool to take that long off. Like I've gone previous bouts of it for competitions and everything else. Right. Um, but then I just, it was right around where my pinky blew up and I couldn't ride. And I was at, well, it was at the Silver King. Well, it wasn't Silver King then. It was at Sticks and Stones in 2021. I couldn't race. I had pins in my finger. And I found my, I was super pissed because I really wanted to race. And I found myself, like it didn't, nothing bad happened or anything, but I found myself having these thoughts of, uh, well, jealousy, um, resentment a little bit. And I, I was just kind of heading as I'm like, you know, sitting around drinking because that's all I could do. And listen to everybody else talk about the race and everything else um right and I, I just sat there and i realized i was like you know what okay so i'm just starting out on this injury i'm not gonna be able to do much for a couple months i'm i'm missing our ride window for the most part here in idaho like we get three months for for lucky i'm missing most of that so i can either make some changes now right and be in a better spot for when i can get back to doing what i want to do or I can, you know, spend this time like kind of wallowing in my own self-pity and come out of this maybe in a worse spot than I went in. Um, anyways, so yeah, decided not to yeah. do it for a year. Fantastic. And I would say anybody that's considering it, it's very worthwhile. You know, it doesn't have to I, be you, you learn so much about yourself. Totally. Like during those times when I was like consciously making decisions to not drink and stuff like that and kind of like going back and forth and not like, not like 
I felt like a failure when I chose to drink. Just I knew that I was making conscious decisions on when I win and when I would not. Uh, You learn a lot about yourself and and you don't realize how much you don't know yourself. Like for those, I, I please, I hope for the people that know seat time from back in 2011, like it literally says a pint full of awesome on this. Like, <laughs> like, like I would get hammered. You know what I mean? Like, so that was part of the goal. You know what I mean? Like within all of this, when we did, like we would go to SMS racing early on and we would film the show because we were doing video back in 2011. Like it wasn't just uh, audio. Um, like multiple people would throw up because we would drink so much. So please understand that I'm not coming from a place that it's like, I just, you know, I casually stopped drinking. Like it was, you could say as I was teetering on the idea of alcoholism, but because my wife is a a recovering alcoholic, I don't choose to call myself an alcoholic because I don't want that to take away or make it sound like we are in the same space where she is at in her, her sobriety is different than where I am at in my sobriety. And are they contextual? Absolutely. Um, but they're very, they're, they're at the same time, vastly different. So that's why I like, I I look back on a lot of that stuff and I try to not be judgmental, um, because that's who I was then, who I am now is just different, who I'm going to be 10 years from now is going to be different. And hopefully if I make 95 again, that person's going to be vastly different. So I can't, I, I can't beat myself up over that. I just have to go with today and see what happens. Um, but please understand that like, it's been, it's been a, it's been a, a rough road. I partied so hard at the big sky 2013 cross country championships that I went to, um, that I missed my flight the next morning. Like, like people were banging on my door and I couldn't get up because I was probably still that drunk in the morning. So it, it's, you know what I mean? Like it, it's been a crazy fucking journey man and uh it's just it's interesting as shit very interesting (laughs) yeah yeah i do um i mean i've had previous times where it's been excessive for sure um so similar setup like i'm not i didn't just like have a beer on a weekend and decide to quit drinking right um it was more than that but on the flip side like having that much time to be able to really, because it was just taking me in a different direction on a, in a sense, like my, my goals and where I want to be drinking was doing nothing for that. And so yeah, like, it's a time issue. It's a, it's a fitness issue. It's a health issue. Um, and, and if, I don't know if it's, if you're out there and that's, a crossroads you're looking at because there's plenty of people either it's not a crossroads there's no issue and again no judgment on any of that stuff but if it is i just i'd highly recommend taking the time to examine it and potentially taking a break and and looking at what it's yep. giving you and what you're taking from it and if anything i say resonates or you want to talk to me feel free like again i'm an open book like um you know, my experiences are my experiences and hopefully my experiences help other people and vice versa. Like I want to learn from other people as well. So within that, like you're going to teach me something if we talk about yours and I, and hopefully vice versa, and we may not teach each other anything, but we're going to at least find some common ground to move forward. Totally. Um, and so, 
it, it's interesting. One of the, I, I, I kind of, we've been given plugs and stuff like that. And this is not a plug for anything I have any relation to. I've just gone on this adventure and it's called soul searching adventures. That's been one of the biggest things I've taken out of my sobriety and, and, and the things that I was going through in 20 and 21 that took me maybe to that place is I wanted to learn more about myself. I wanted to understand who I was, why I made the decisions I made, why my anxiety sometimes is through the roof. And I like, I can tell that I'm clenching my jaw during the day because my anxiety is so high. Like, and I, um, Michael Kazayu is a huge pastime CrossFit dude and stuff like that. So that's how I found out about him. But I prompt like the, the, the trip is not a CrossFit trip. So don't think that that that's just his connection and how I found out about it, but it's called soul searching adventures. And he's got a couple different or that they go around the world and they're different lengths. The one I went on was right, four days and it was outside of Austin. And it was one of the most amazing things I've ever done. And I learned a lot about myself. I was put into some very uncomfortable situations because of the fact that I had to face a lot of reasons that I am, how and who and what I am. Um, and so that I could come out on the other side better than that. Um, and I think I'm going to go on another one next year, a different version. Um, again, he's got a couple of different ones. But if, again, if any of this on the mindset stuff has resonated, that's just a cool spot to maybe go do some research is totally. around those kind of trips. Yeah, one of the um, I've never heard of that one, but one of the ones that I did was it wasn't a trip or a thing, but it was uh, Jordan B. Peterson's future authoring program, which yeah. I'd heard of, I mean, years and years ago, but I it's like 20 bucks or whatever, and you don't even have to pay for it. It's probably better if you do because it's better questions. But have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, but I have not done it. Yeah. So I bought it and wrote it out and I can still go back and look at what I wrote, but essentially you're just writing your, writing your future, right? So you're, you're writing and, and then there's way more questions to it, but without, without worrying about spelling, grammar, whatever it's, you know, write your, your best version of yourself in five years. And then write what, if you let your vices take the best of you, what that looks like in five years or two years or whatever it is. And it's yeah. fucking interesting because Deep down, we all kind of, I think, have an idea of what that looks like, right? Like, what's what's my best self look like? And and if I could put that out there, what would I be? Would I be, you know, a role model for my kids or friends or family or, or you know, I would enrich the lives of the people around me, blah, blah, blah. And you have an idea of that. And then it's like, what does that look like if you let the the, the most base things of yourself take control, right? And you travel down that path and write that down. Don't just go, oh yeah, that won't happen. Like put that on fucking paper and then read it and see how that makes you feel. And then it gives you a lot more context and it gives you those, those spots to be like, okay, I don't want to do that, right? So, so how yeah. do I make decisions that don't put me there? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's interesting. Any of that, again, obviously Josh has got resources. I've got them. If any of this stuff resonates, like reach out and we can, you know, chit chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess um, we should finish with something that has nothing to do with dirt bikes or fitness and with the mindset stuff, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's, your, it's your show, buddy. No, that's all good, man. Appreciate um, appreciate the time and thanks for coming on. We'll have to do it again. And um, yeah. No, man, absolutely. If anybody, like if any of this, you want to know a little bit more about the seat time and the stuff, it's seattime.co. We're on the Instagrams, TikToks and all the stupid things out there. It is, I, I again, I want to entertain, I want to entertain and I want to educate people. I want to 
have fun. Dirt biking is awesome. It doesn't need to be taken too serious. Um, and so I don't take it too serious. And if that, if you want a little bit of that, man, come check us out in any of the places you can try to find us. Awesome. Well, Brian, appreciate the time and thanks for coming on the show. You got it, man.